Listener Production. Uh, hello and welcome to Willosophy with Will Anderson. I'm Will Anderson from the title of the podcast and this is how the show starts. It's pretty simple. I ask my guests who they are. So who are you? Oh man, given the name of the podcast, Willosophy, already I feel like that's a trick question. I feel like it's a trap or something. Like, Am I meant to answer deeply? I, I love how like immediately defensive you become. <laughs> like this must be a trap. This man's invited me into this podcast studio onto his podcast. I mean, it is... Uh, you. Actually, the truth of it is, I mock you a little, but but it is a trap. Yeah. Oh, okay. Good. Absolutely, it is oh, a trap. I've seen right through it, and <laughs> it's designed as a trap because yes. it seems like a very simple question, <laughs> and yet it is incredibly overwhelming yes. to people and very revelatory about how they choose to answer yes. it. And the fact that you've immediately gone on the defensive says a lot about you. I feel like I've learned more from that than I have from the actual answer. Literally, just before the podcast started, you said there's no gotcha questions, and yeah. immediately we've come and out. I've gone with, with "Who are you?" <laughs> Identify yourself. <laughs> when asked to ex- like, when somebody says, "Who are you?" How do you answer that question? I guess is what I'm getting at. It's a great. That's that's a that's a very good question. It is something I I used to think about a lot uh, because so you know I'm Ray Larian and I'm I'm a, I'm a stand up comedian. Is no, normally I guess how I'd identify myself. But I I remember back before I used to do comedy, I used to hate. Um, sort of asking people what do you do or like identifying yourself by your job. I, I, I don't know why. Maybe I was, you know, fresh out of uni at a sort of Marxist education or something. You know, I was there was something about, you know, reducing people down to their work, which I remember finding really distasteful or something 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 so gross about it. I'm loving this, but, but, Ray. Yeah, I'm know. loving this by the way, because yeah. that is Part of why I asked that yeah. question, because everyone, of course, always answers yeah. with their job. Yes, exactly. But then the thing is, I think what was going on is I, I just hated my job. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't want to. <laughs> I didn't want to talk about my job. I just... <laughs> yeah. Turns out this isn't a Marxist thing. Yeah. I just hate my specific job. Yeah. Now that I have a job that I'm proud of, being yeah. a stand-up comedian. <laughs> oh, I would love to talk about comedy all day long. <laughs> so what was your job before stand-up comedy? I um, used to work in the public service back in New Zealand. So um Specifically, I worked at the Department of Corrections, um, and I used to be a contract. I was a contract analyst at first, and then I was a policy advisor. Um, and policy advice, because um, I had, a, I have a, I have a master's in philosophy, um, and policy advice was sort of the closest thing to philosophy I felt maybe existed in the real world, which is sort of, um, you know, you get you in theory you get told problems that are going on in the prison prison system or going on in the public service, and you're meant to come up with ideas and yeah. try a it. Theory, try a, a yes. greater theory that might. Now, yeah. do you feel like that you had any capacity to actually change things within that role? Oh no, okay. <laughs> no, yeah. no, 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 no. It was, it was. I think in theory, the way policy is meant to work is you're meant to sort of sit there and you know be like, oh, there are all these problems. I'm going to come up with some ideas and you know make the public service better. But really what happens is um, someone high up comes down to you and says, we want to do this. Can you please justify it? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you feel like that influences you comedically anyway, by the way, that that what you've just talked about just there? Because it feels to me that sometimes, like, you know, we try to have a grander premise to what we're doing, like a, a, like a, a broader philosophy, and yeah. then hope the jokes come from that. And yeah. then sometimes you already have the destination, the punchline, and then you're like, let's just try to justify it. Let's let's backdate this and try to justify it. That literally used to be my approach to writing jokes. I used to sit down and think, this is what I think, 
And so anyone who disagrees with me is probably stupid. And they must be stupid in a way that I could find out, you know, in a funny way. <laughs> that used to be, that was genuinely, I don't know, um, I don't know how technical you want to get in the philosophy we, element. We can get technical into whatever oh, element. Oh, this, this is, this is, it's a safe space. Oh, thank, oh, thank you. Apart from the gotcha questions right at the top. Yeah. Now, now Apart it's from the constant ac <laughs> accusations of identify yourself. Who are you? It was, um, um, so there's a thing in philosophy, a way of arguing called an argument ad absurdum. Um, and it, it, that basically means reduced to the absurd. And, and the idea is basically, you know, someone will come f forward with a position and you and you're, you point out the absurdities and what they think. So uh, this, in philosophy, is a philosophical example. I'm a very boring person, by the way. <laughs> but it's okay. I'm they, super entertaining. Yes. So between us, this is going to be great. <laughs> But um, Immanuel Kant, the old uh, Russian philosopher, he thought... We'll have to beat that. <laughs> you can't say that. <laughs> sorry. Well, I'm, sorry. I'm so, sorry for saying Immanuel. I see. <laughs> but Kant, he would say... <laughs> one of the things his theory came out with was this idea that you could never, ever lie. And then one of the famous counterexamples to that was um, what if an ex-murderer came to your door? And that was meant to be showing the absurdities of his... Oh, the, an ex-murderer comes to your door and says, where's your family? Mm. And you can't lie to them because he thinks you can never lie. And it was, you know, that's meant to show the absurdity of his view because his view would, let you, uh, would lead to you know, his whole family being chopped up into little bits. Um, and he controversially said, um, yeah, you're right, I couldn't lie to them. Um, but I could shut the door in their face. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll shout. I'll, look, I'll, to be honest with you, I'll, I'll, I can shout the truth through a very locked door. <laughs> I can remove the axe from the situation. Then I can let them know where the family is. There's a workaround. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I understand what you mean. So, like, so how much of this philosophical background then? Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I like this is very fascinating because, you know, like I said, the, the name of the podcast is simply a pun and a conceit. And it's often people don't actually talk about proper philosophy. On oh, the I'm, show. So, I'm sorry. No, I'm running with it. I'm running. Absolutely don't apologize for it. It brings a level of like name uh, association yeah. that is actually accurate for once. <laughs> the fact that this podcast does actually pop up in the philosophy feeds in some of the apps, this is actually justifying it. So this is very good. A hundred episodes in and we've got some legitimacy. Finally. <laughs> yeah, about every hundred we actually do. That's about what happens. Like, I do find that about every hundred someone strolls in who's like, so this is a philosophy podcast, so let's talk about Kant. I'm like, I'm going to have to beat that. So, <laughs> so you studied philosophy, though, yeah, obviously. So yes. let's Okay, so let's find a little bit about what gets you to be studying philosophy? Where does Ray O'Leary grow up? Like, where? Like, what's the story pre-philosophy? That's that's a good. I grew up in a um, small town in New Zealand called Wanganui. Very very small town. I think it's about forty thousand people now, maybe fifty. Um, known for having a, a river run through it and um, gang problems. I would, okay. say, I would say is the two is sort of what it's kind of known. Are the for. gangs from different sides of the river? No, I'm, I'm, well, I'm not sure. I don't know if you could tell just by looking at me, but I wasn't heavily involved in the gang Thanks. situation. You, you weren't brought in as a consultant <laughs> yeah. about their like overall philosophies? Yeah. Look, Ray, here's what we've done. Yeah. We've killed one of the other guys. We needed you to justify yeah. it. Could you just come in? And... Okay, first things first. None of you told a lie, right? right. <laughs> the guy, there was a guy with an axe at my door, and I have shot him. Can you please help me with this situation? <laughs> Uh, so you grew up in this town. Yes. You're not involved in the gang scene. Yes, yeah, sorry. What are you involved? Well, I, well, to, I mean, if we, to get to the philosophy part, yeah. I was raised um, 
Catholic or, or Christian, mm-hmm. or you know, one, one of the denominations. And I, I, I was thinking about that walking here, but I remember when I was about thirteen or so, I was given a book called Sophie's World, uh, which is a um, a it's basically it's a novel, um, but it, it's a novel. Uh, it's a philosophy lecture poorly disguised as a novel. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So it's a, right. th- yeah. And I remember about seven pages in, they asked a question of. Uh, um, if you know, if the universe came from God, where did God come from? Basically, and that kind of blew my mind, and it made me start questioning, and I kind of started to lose the faith and started to having doubts and things like that. And I think maybe that's what got me into philosophy. Is sort of, you know, maybe I was thinking maybe you know, being brought up in Christianity, you kind of have a lot of answers set, and there's a lot of interest. You know, you've you've got all the answers provided to you already, and then I had that sort of pulled out from me um, at age thirteen, and and that's I think what led me to pursuing philosophy. That's interesting to me because it's that idea of that there maybe is some greater meaning, that yeah. you, you have this desire to understand the world around you, but you've been taught this set of rules and instructions and answers for those questions. You're like, well, I'm not saying that the, the search for the answers is the wrong thing. I yeah. just think you've come up with not necessary. You've locked in some pretty firm opinions <laughs> about some answers that you really can't quite back up as far as I can yeah. see. So philosophy does seem to be the pursuit of asking those questions yes. or looking at a way for us to live our lives. So even yeah. at 13, was there just part of you? Do you think it was a simple Indiana Jones style, you have to replace this thing with something else? Or do you think there was genuinely something within you that was looking at the world and questioning what it was all about? Yeah, I think I think there was something in me that was sort of like, you know, I want answers to these questions. And I guess I just thought I had them for such a long time. And then, um, and then, just one sentence in a book was enough. Which <laughs> to, to be fair, I was, you know, I I was thirteen, yeah. you know, so my my, uh, my worldview was it um, turns out it was on a pretty flimsy read, and the Bible, you know, is a lot longer than just one sentence. But it was one sentence was enough. To completely to just go, that's all rubbish. <laughs> it's all I've right. read this one sentence that's changed everything, which I guess to the author, like, yeah. what a great compliment. Yes. Like, yeah. I mean, there is something about the fact that, like, often you're just like when you're writing a book or you're yeah. doing a stand up show, you'll think, well, this one line's not going to change anything, <laughs> is it? Well, it turns out it can if you find the right 13 year old in the right vulnerable situation when they're questioning everything. <laughs> This is not going to shatter someone's worldview and make them reconsider everything about their life. This, I'm just writing a fun little book. Uh, so, um, so you read this, you start to get interested in like broader questions about yeah. the world. But you're also 13 years old. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. like, how much of that? Like, does do you set off in a path on a path then, like, with a interest in philosophy? Like, uh, I guess what I'm asking is. Is it something that you, by the time you go to university to study it, you've already like learnt a lot about you that you've been passionate about, or is it something that just sits in the background until you decide that's that, what you're going to study? That's great. I remember I I definitely I was I mean I was a nerdy kid, and so like I remember my family would be watching Coronation Street or something, and I'd be on the computer on Wikipedia reading up about like Nietzsche or something, or like, like different philosophies, and then it kind of went to the background, you know, I, I, you know, I had other things to worry about. There's only so much self-teaching on Wikipedia. (laughs) (laughs) I could do, I was, I was 13. I wasn't coming across any more revelatory one sentence lines that changed everything. And then, yeah, I went to a um, university, a, I went to something sort of showcasing different degrees off you know they were like different they went to a right. university they've tried to like convince you to go to sure. like an open day yes style thing where all the various courses are saying 
this is who we are, this yeah. is why you should tell yes. me what we do. Yes, this okay. is who we are. They had a firm answer to the question. Right. <laughs> yeah, we're the only ones who know. Yes. All these other clowns, they'll be telling you. The scientists over there, yeah. they've got another theory. And they think they can back yeah. it up, but we've got some good ideas. Yes. And I remember I... Um, the philosophy people, they did the trolley problem, oh, yeah. um, which I, I, I assume you know about. I, I do, but yeah. for the people who don't, I mean, it's been popularized probably enough yes, in and pop memes. culture yeah. and memes and stuff yes. now that people understand what the trolley problem is. But yeah. at its essence, when you were first introduced to it, what was the trolley problem? But, but that I was, it was um, a trolley's hurtling down the tracks uncontrolled towards um, five people and you're standing by a lever and um, if you pull the lever, you'll switch. Uh, the tr the trolley will leave that tracks, but it'll go onto another track and hit one person. And it's, the question is, do you pull the lever? You know, do you sacrifice one person to save five? And they asked us to raise our hands. Nearly every single person, you know, raised their hand. Thinks it's better to sacrifice one to save five. And then and then they go, yes, yes. you have not thought this through completely. <laughs> <laughs> what about this? <laughs> Sit back, and we'll introduce another element to this conundrum. <laughs> It was worse than being asked, who are you? It was, it was a, a much bigger trap. Well, you wait until the last 10 minutes when I ask you to solve the trolley problem. That's great. And then, and then the um, next thing was, um, you know, imagine you're a surgeon or a doctor out in a hospital in the middle of nowhere and you've got five patients who are dying and they all need a different mm -hmm. organ to be transplanted. And yep. then a, um, Can you cut up one person yes, exactly. to serve everybody yes, else? Yes, a hermit comes in with no family, you know, blah, 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 for a routine operation and you realize he's a perfect match for everyone. Do you cut him, take all his organs and save the five? And everyone wants to say, no, you don't just randomly cut up a person to save. And then immediately you've got a contradiction in your beliefs. And then I was just sort of like, well, how do I solve this? How do I fix this? And I foolishly thought if I enrolled in a philosophy course, they would just tell me the answers. Right. <laughs> like I'd it's be like, like, yeah, what is the answer to this trolley yes. problem? What's the correct thing? <laughs> yeah, like it was physics or something. Yeah. You know, they'd be like, oh, yeah, this is it. And then I'd be like, oh, okay, great. That's good. Oh, I yeah, there's a trick at the end. <laughs> yeah, there's a you, trick. Well, you work it out. Yeah. Well, like, there's a third option. Yes. You can actually just like stop the trolley. Did you not understand that? There's a break. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> there's a break. Yeah, too, they'll all just get better on their road or something. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Just yell ahead. They'll jump off the tracks. <laughs> Everything's fine, guys. Everything's fine. Oh, yeah, all these people, yeah. you can cure them individually. Yeah, it's they're, fine. They're, we don't need to cut up a hermit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it is intriguing, right? Like yeah. that idea of, so you, you, you said you had a master's in philosophy. Yes. So you obviously, you go to university, you study philosophy, yeah. but you don't just study it. You obviously yeah. throw yourself into it. Yes, yeah, yeah. A, 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 a little bit of that was me still not figuring, knowing like what I wanted to do mm. once I left university. And so I sort of st right. maybe stuck around a bit too long. But, um, and still, and I, you weren't inundated with job offers because you had a <laughs> philosophy degree. <laughs> there wasn't a lot of, just the world hadn't opened up to you yeah, with that philosophy qualification that you had. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot it was, uh, yeah, if I, if I tell you what, if, if I had my CV in ancient Greece. Yeah, <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, ladies. <laughs> <laughs> It is the thing of I pivoted to com I pivoted to comedy and that was considered you know a lateral move you know that that wasn't you know um, as yeah, Josh Earl said to me the other day um, you would have had the only parents who were going thank Christ he's doing oh, yeah. comedy yeah. yeah something that you can actually make, make a living out of like basically spouting the same bullshit yes. but if you can make it a little funnier yes exactly yeah then everything's fine yes. so when does comedy come along then is it concurrently or is it 
after? Like, are you working in your job already, or is it yeah. at university when you're doing philosophy? Yes, yeah, so I le I left the university and I um and I started doing my desk job, started working for corrections, and I, I and I quickly realized I hate this. This is you know this is terrible. I hate having a nine to five. I hate only having weekends off. You know, it's um I, and I mean like the nine to five, the weekends off, yeah. but also even just the fact that philosophically, you know, you are like. Corrections is an area where if you could genuinely get a whole bunch of people th together to try to think about a better way to do it, there are clearly better ways oh, to yes. run corrections yes. than the ways that they are being run. But as you're saying, yeah. you're immediately aware that there is no. actually no desire to be reforming corrections at all. Oh, yes, absolutely. And I was, um, yes, I was, I, at the time I was working there, I was under, I mean, I don't think any government likes Corrections. I feel like it's no. always it's all just it's a problem. Uh, yes, it's a it's yeah. a problem area. It only ever causes problems, and you try to do things, you know, and um, the public get mad and say you're being soft on crime That's or right. whatever. Yeah. yeah, you try to do something, you know, proactive to help the people who are in those yeah. situations, and you lose everybody else yes. who's like, lock them up, mate. Yes. <laughs> you know, yeah. I like. I mean, terrible. Yeah. Yes, this is terrible. why. Like, I mean, and of course, then there's. I mean, maybe less so in New Zealand, but like worldwide, you know, there is this like prison industrial complex yeah. now where there is. Like they're big businesses, yeah, right. and like like a hotel needs like maximum capacity yeah, for yeah. a hotel to operate properly. It's yeah. the same with the prison system. So there is some imperative to lock. Anyway, there's a lot of competing <laughs> factors when it comes to corrections. <laughs> but yes, it was it was not fun. I guess basically feeling like a cog in the machine. And, no, and and um, I mean simply the having the job you sucked, and then also I guess the morality of the job you could sometimes question. Like I I did feel. Maybe I'd necessarily, I didn't necessarily do anything good at the job, but I do think I maybe have helped stop worse things from happening. Okay. You know, that well, that's good. Which is maybe, I mean, maybe I did. Maybe and I it's did. great that you, the person who was doing that, left. Yeah. So that's, that's great news. <laughs> <laughs> the one person who had their finger in the dock was like, you know what, I'm going to go down to the classic and tell some jokes. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Good luck with your futures. <laughs> yeah, if I'd installing that death penalty you guys have been talking about, yeah, no, I'm It's off. okay, guys. There's a whole bunch of guys from gangs that I grew up with <laughs> in my town, so they're all in here, so they'll, they'll be able to help you out. Uh, so, so you're doing this job, so comedy starts while you're doing this job? Yeah, uh, yes. Or do you leave and then start comedy? No, I, I was doing oh, – no, I, I, I was not that brave. No, I would never – and I, I, just, I don't think I'd ever advise someone – <laughs> to just quit your job and start an open mic, that'd be that'd be terrible. And I started doing open mics um, while I had this job, uh, and you know I'd been thinking about doing comedy for a, a long, long time in my life. Yeah. Where uh, did where did that come from? I, th this is maybe this is maybe bad, but but the first stand up special I ever saw was from Ellen DeGeneres. You know, I, I didn't like her comedy, but I loved the way she treated her staff. Staff, yeah. yeah. Well, that's it, I <laughs> yeah, mean, right? It really inspired me. Yeah, no. you, you, did, you don't like her comedy, but you like people who had to pretend that they weren't, the, <laughs> like, they weren't gay for years. That's what really you enjoy. So this would have been post, this is, I, I, I think I probably know what special this is. This is post her coming out? Yes. Yes, uh, yes it was, and she did like a big, a big special. I can't remember what yes, the name of it was, I, but it was. It may have been called The Beginning. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. It was very good stand-up, though. Yes. And I can actually see, funnily enough, because you are such a great joke writer, oh, oh, there you. are lots of joke jokes yes. in that. Like, I could see, like, it's funny to say yeah. I can see a little bit of Ellen DeGeneres <laughs> still in your work, but because- I, I am a closeted lesbian. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> because, and you were, I mean, you were terrible to the staff <laughs> here on the way in. I thought it was inappropriate. They're not even your staff. <laughs> and you were like demanding a Diet Coke. Like, <laughs> Which I still haven't got. <laughs> Apparently we don't have any. That was I'm the, off. I'm the out. World's, <laughs> the world's second most popular beverage. <laughs> not available here. Thank you. Um, so, uh, I can see that. There's great joke writing. Yeah. And she is an incredible... Like her yeah. timing as a yeah. comedian, like I, I get that, uh, particularly around that period of time. Yes, I think she was a very good mainstream mm. stand-up comedian. She, yeah, she. I think one of her hours, the the second one actually here and now. I do. I genuinely think it's one of like the greatest hours of observational comedy. Like I still do rate her as a stand-up comedian. She obviously has gone into you know talk shows and. Um, and, and legal disputes with this yeah. star. <laughs> two, two main passions. Yeah, that's where she chose to put her energy. But, but I, I do think the comedy, you know, when it was there, she was, you know, at the, at the top of the game, you know. And that was one of the first I, I just happened to be exposed to. And that I remember, you know, I, th I guess that was sort of the um, thing that made me think, oh, maybe this could be a job for me. And I do know, um, I also remember my mum, this is a, maybe another um, comedian who's not obviously controversial, but um, I also loved Michael Barrymore when I was under five. Oh, uh, who, um, wow! Yeah, I, 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 I mean, yes, I, I think I was obsessed with his TV show when I was a when I was a child. When he, I, I don't know what he would have hosted back then. I guess his own talk show or his own. I can't even work out what the timeline would be <laughs> on that for this to be able to have happened. <laughs> well, it only had just arrived in New Zealand. So yeah, okay, that's right. Time. Yeah, it had been off air for 20 yeah. years. <laughs> but they got some tapes of it <laughs> at TVNZ <laughs> and they were rolling them around. <laughs> There's this new guy, yeah. Michael Barrymore, hottest, hottest, <laughs> hottest thing from overseas. You've got to check this out. He's scoring super well in the under five <laughs> yeah, put it, yeah, put your kids in front of this. <laughs> this is brilliant. They love him. Uh, so yeah. was it, what was the appeal? Because like, uh, you know, was it the jokes themselves? Was it the, um, you know, the presentation of the jokes? Was it what they were talking about? Was it the craft? Was it the structure? Like, I mean, what, what did you find appealing? Do you think? Oh, that's, that's such a good question. I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure what like sort of pickled my brain from, I, I, I think it was, I, if I had to guess, I think it was seeing someone being funny in a, sort of a professional capacity in such in a, sort of a huge room, and I guess you know I used I felt like you know I was a funny kid, but I was I was also a quiet kid, you know. And but I'd make my friends laugh and stuff, and I think that was sort of like maybe my way of seeking validation from my friends, or you know, you know, you're getting a genuine response from someone when they laugh at something you say, and I, I guess it was being able to see you could do that as a living, you know, get that kind of response from someone. Cause I, I don't know if you had a similar thing growing up, but I, I definitely, definitely comedy was my way of connecting with other people. I felt like making them laugh. And um, yeah. So you, like you're doing this thing in your life that gives you some like social mobility, yeah. like yeah, you interact with your friends, yeah. you enjoy doing it, yes. but this is an example of, Oh, Hey, this thing that you do for fun yes. in the same way as some kid playing, rugby union in yeah. New Zealand, like, you know, in the backyard with his friends might go, one day I'm going to play for the All Blacks. Yeah. Suddenly you can look at, you know, Michael Barrymore <laughs> and Ellen DeGeneres, Michael. the two most obvious of all comedic influences, <laughs> and think, this is my way out of here. I am going to be New Zealand's cross between these two. Oh, God. I have a few staff member lying faced out of one of my pools. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.
<laughs> so okay, so you open mics. Um, yep. So you're you're working at this job. You, you've got an eye on comedy. Yeah. Is there people in New Zealand now? I mean, you're an adult now. Like yeah. this is, I assume, I assume this is not some <laughs> prodigy child with a philosophy <laughs> master's working at the Department of Corrections. So you're a grown adult. Yeah. Are there people on the New Zealand comedy scene who are influential to you at that point? Are you looking to people locally and seeing, oh, this person? Like, I mean, obviously. You'd imagine the success of Flight of the Concords and these sort of things, Ray Starby, those sort of people. But are there other people around the scene or within the New Zealand like comedy community or anything that were in- influential to you? That, that That's a good question. I don't know if they were influential per se, mm-hmm. but I did used to, before I started, I used to go down and watch um, an old, a comedy show and doesn't exist anymore called The Medicine, which was, so I was in Wellington at the time, which is um, our, our capital city, but it's not the comedy hub of New Zealand. Um, and so I used to watch the local comedians there and I don't, I don't know if they were influential, but they were, I guess, inspirational. I used to think, um, they were huge local celebrities before I started doing stand up. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, everyone must know who these guys are. Yeah. And I just happened to not know who they are. And then I started doing comedy. I was like, oh, of course, no one gives a damn about ever. us. Yes, no. Like, honestly, probably ever. Yes, no. Like, <laughs> even if you're Ellen DeGeneres, a lot of people are like, which one's she again? <laughs> like, that's that's how little people actually yes. care about this thing. But I get that. And, yes. and there's also probably a level of, you probably saw some people, because I think often inspiration doesn't come by seeing the best people. Like, yes. I mean, the initial inspiration comes from that. Yes. But sometimes the entry level, the yeah. like I, I often say to people when they say, I'm interested in doing stand-up comedy, I saw your show tonight and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, that's great. Thanks for coming to see my show. But the best way to get into it is go and say an open mic because you'll see four or five people that you're like, oh, I'm funnier than yes. them. And that is actually, that's the barrier that, to entry. That is genuinely, I think, maybe the way people get into comedy is they go see an open mic for the first time yeah. and realize, oh, I can do this. Yeah. Because there is, I mean, there or is. Or at a- least I can not do it as badly as <laughs> yes. these people do it. Like there are people who are at least as bad as me doing it. So yeah. that is not a barrier to entry, yes. it turns out. Because if you see comedians at their peak, you can often yeah. think, oh, I'll never be as funny as that. That's a, that's a, that's incredible. That's amazing. But if you see how low the barrel can go. <laughs> yeah. That's what you got to do. Don't, don't, don't start with the people who are really good yes. at it and make it look easy. Yes. Go and go and look at some people who make it look impossible. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you start seeing it. Do you start doing it in yeah. Wellington? Yes, yes. I, I was I, my inspiration at this time. Now, mm. now that I remember, is um, Stuart Lee was very big in my oh, brain. Yes, I, yeah, but, uh, I think you know, comedians, comedian, and, and I've de- I think his the inspiration I think he had on me was um, when you write a routine, you should write it as basically as long as it can go. Which I mean, I still. It's, it's something I, I struggle with. You know, when, when you watch someone do a routine that goes for longer than 10 minutes, that's the, I think that's sort of the goal. That's always incredible to be able to talk about one thing for as long as you can. It's something I'm, you know, still aspiring to. But that was definitely the way I approached a topic would be like, I'll just sit down, I'll write six minutes about one thing. I'd get up on stage and be like, oh, only, you know, 30 seconds of this is funny. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, that, that is the problem. Yes. It's making the whole six minutes funny. Yes. It's not being able to write six minutes on it. <laughs> You can keep writing. <laughs> you just have to work out the funny bits. But, but yeah, so I, then I um, I was performing around in the local mm. scene, um, and I um, what sort of things were you doing then? Like, I mean, as in, like, do you remember what your first comedic takes were? Like, what sort of stuff you were talking yeah, about? Yes, the very first set I, the first proper set I wrote, um, which I then actually, well, yeah, the first proper set I wrote was about um, uh, 
I, this is something I'll never, I'd never talk about. I'm ashamed I wrote six minutes on it, but it was about uh, incest, uh, and it was, it was, you know, it was, it was sort of, you know, my family history with it. Because I think, I mean, well, the, no, the, that actually sounds a lot darker than I needed it, to say. It did a little. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm you sorry, might you have did. noticed from my slightly <laughs> cocked eyebrow yes, that, got... like, I was it's like, are you, are you just going to brush over that, or are we going to explore that a little bit more? <laughs> Maybe I should have done some more research before <laughs> this chat. I know I'm like to just wing it, go with the flow, but maybe, maybe need, you I just brought call. up something that I really should have been aware of. I need to call someone. <laughs> When's are you okay, Dave? But anyway, I, I um, no, it was like I think you know, sort of like when you look back through your family history and you fi- and you you find in the family tree, you know, someone's married their cousin yes. or whatever. You I know. mean, eventually, if you look back at most family trees, there yeah. was a point where. Like your cousins were, like we think about these days, yeah. you're like, well, you meet a lot of people. Yes. Like in the old days, you didn't meet a lot of people yes. and most of them you were related to by the nature of yes. geography. Yes, like, yes. you know, the people who lived in your local area were yeah. all families yes. who had lived in that area. Yeah. So eventually there was going to be some intermingling. Yeah. Going to the next town over was a week's yeah. trip. You know, you can't, right. yeah. you can't do that all the time yes, yes. and just hope it works yeah. out. The cousin's here like three times a week. So <laughs> what are you going to do? But yes, it was sort. It was sort of about that, ah. and then um, that one. Yes. Also, now, like I, I read last year, yeah. like I love um, uh, every year uh, Pornhub, the, oh. the Adult Entertainment Network. I don't know what they are. They're like adult. <laughs> they so so much more classy than it was. <laughs> well, the they put network. out their like the uh, statistics, statistics about what the most watched crack categories of yeah. various things are, and it turns out that like incest is the latest taboo. It's like it the most, again, like I think it, it's yeah. one of those things where I'm like, man, like I just literally just must have had a different family experience than other people. <laughs> you know, it's like one of those things where you're like, there's just not one moment ever in my entire 49 years on this planet that I have ever looked at any member of my family and thought like, about them having sex, about like, you know, that certainly then not them having sex with each other or me. No, thank you. But just in general, not even into that like idea. Or I don't need to lord it over us. I mean, it does feel like I'm protesting too much, yes. doesn't it? I've like really jammed that in. I just need to point out, guys, <laughs> not a drink. While, 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 while the subject of incense is yeah, up. I don't know what it is, but like Ray brought up the incense thing and I just really felt like I had to. <laughs> you started sweating, your eyes were darting around. I was like, what is he doing? Why is he bringing this up? <laughs> okay, so you, initially it's about incest. Is there yes. any of your philosophical training, like your university, you know, yes. master's degree, yes. do you feel like that is infusing your work in any way or do they feel yes. like separate? Well, yes, then the next set yes. I wrote, which I, I'm much more proud of, mm-hmm. was about um, a – right-wing, uh, tough-on-crime lobby group in New Zealand that, right. I, that I disagreed with. And mm. so I wrote 10 minutes about how stupid I thought they were. Um, and it was, that was sort of the philosophy. That was sort of the argument at absurdum thing coming through, sort of the, I, these guys seem absurd to me. I'll find things that they've done and make jokes about it and, and make and make fun of them. Um, and, and I think that was sort of the uh, philosophical approach as well. And I, and I think what the degree as well maybe comes in handy and that maybe it helps me generate angles or makes me think about coming at things at, at different angles um, and, and trying to exhaust all the different possible op- op- options before I um, move on from a joke. I can imagine that. So, yeah. like, I mean, so obviously, you know, a lot of comedy exists in 
yeah, the gap between what is be being presented as reality and what is actually true. Yeah. And like, obviously philosophy gives you so many tools mm -hmm. by which you could look at an argument or yes. the way that somebody presents an argument. Yeah. But it also, I imagine, because I know as someone who likes to, as I've got older, like, you know, I've been doing this for a long time now. Like I like my material to be more nuanced in my arguments. Whereas like early on, it was very much about that idea of, I will set up like you know, the perfect straw man, you know, <laughs> on this topic that I can then just cleverly dissect, you know, all their terrible arguments. And, and you know, you're really kind of cheating the argument there. Yes. You're not giving them, you know, you're not arguing against the best version yes. of what it is they believe. You're arguing against the worst version yes. of what they believe. And so when I go yes. into things now, I try to have an awareness oh. of the idea of like, what's their yes. best argument? Yes. See if you can... Because the straw man is so much easier to knock down in comedy, right. I think. Yes. You know, it's so much easier to, yeah, set up someone. Well, you you just make them a fool straight out. Immediately, yes. yeah. Look at this person saying this ridiculous <laughs> thing. How clever am I going to be to be able to refute it with this pre-prepared pre line while they're not here to represent themselves? <laughs> but so, but you obviously know that. Like, yeah. you know how these arguments work. Yeah. You understand a little bit of that structure. Yeah. So how much does that inform when you're writing, like, are you aware sometimes that you're like, I'm using this sort of like type of argument or this type of technique versus maybe I shouldn't do this because this is too easy or I am, you know, kind of cheating this in a way that like isn't legitimate. Do you, yeah. do you think about that? Is that part of your writing process? Yeah. That, yeah. I think back then, then it was, I, th I feel like my comedy now has become more maybe Obs observational as, uh -huh. a, as opposed to you know writing these arguments um, though I need to get back into that I think um, but I was definitely a thing of like I would make sure that what I was saying were things that they had actually said and stuff because yeah the um, the principle of charity uh, is, you know which is yeah when, when you try and make your opponent look smart as opposed to look like a fool yeah I think that is that's incredibly important in philosophy but then also I think I just started out and I was like I, you know, I need to write some jokes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got this other thing called the principle of comedy, yes. and that seems to be more important yeah. to my audience than me being charitable <laughs> to my opponents. <laughs> okay, so when does it does it start? It, does it work at the start? Like, is it one of those things where you immediately feel like there is something about being up there and having a connection with the audience that is working for you, or is it hard at the start? Like, what's oh. What's the actual initial experience of being a comedian I, like? I reckon I had, I, I want to say it's the like sort of quintessential comedian experience. And maybe, I mean, maybe not everyone has this, but I feel like this is a classic experience. I'd love to, like, what a great introduction to whatever <laughs> happens next. Because it's either going to be me going, oh yeah, absolutely, well done, that is insightful. Or me going, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> no one has ever, ever Either way, great intro. <laughs> Built it up perfectly, ready to go. What is the quintessential comedian experience? It was that the, the first gig I went out and I felt like it went really, really well. Like I felt like I had a great first gig. Um, and then my second gig, I absolutely bombed. I went terribly. I wrote a completely new, different six-minute set about um, a thing that was topical in the news at the time. And I just bombed horribly in a terrible open mic in the um, in a basement of this bar, you know, where there were only comedians in the crowd and no one cared. Um, and I think that's sort of the. And then it's sort of like I got to chase that higher, that first gig. I got to get back out there. And that was I. That was my very first experience of of doing stand up. Okay, so I think 
you were absolutely right. Like it does feel a bit like a quintessential comedic experience. Yeah. And I can't even lie to your face for fun because people have heard me talk about this a lot on this show before. So that's, that's what you went through as well. It's what a lot of people go through. Do you have any theories? Because I have my own theories, but do you have any theories of why you think that is? Like, why is that the quintessential comedic experience? There's a maybe there's something about comedians being good at choosing the the first gig you do as well. Like, I mean, when you don't know comedy, the the first gig you end up doing is probably one that you've heard of, which is probably going to be better. Um, and then you, because I think that is what happened. I was only aware there was one open mic in town and it was the good one. And so I signed up and I did that. And I guess I put a lot more effort into it. You know, it was my first ever one. Um, and I, and I got up and it, and it worked. And then when I was there, I learned about another open mic and it turns out there was a reason I hadn't heard about it. And it's cause nobody, <laughs> nobody goes to it. And, um, and so then I signed, so I signed up for that one and I, and I think I thought, oh, the first one's gone so well. I'm great at comedy. Yeah. So know. this is, I think, so that first thing, absolutely, yeah. but that's a specific example to yeah. you. Yes. The second thing I believe is the universal. Yes, is the, the yeah. sort of, oh, the, I, I, I've done it, I've nailed it, I can write whatever, I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a prodigy. I'm, yeah. um, I'll be I'm, on TV in six months <laughs> yes. and like, yeah, this is easy and yeah. I'm the greatest person who's ever done it. No, yeah. But not even if, if you go that far, but yeah. just this idea of, I love watching people do their first ever gig. Yeah. And I think that a lot of the time your first gig goes well because it is your first gig. I've occasionally been hosting something where someone's doing their first show and they say, please don't mention it, it's my first show. Yeah. And I'm like, you are wrong. Yeah. Like, you want me to mention that it's your first show. It gives the audience some energy that yes. it's your first show. But also, it is your first show. Yeah. Like, So that's honest. That's yeah. legitimate. We talk about authenticity in comedy. Yeah. That's authentic. And I think there's a level of authenticity that you don't know you have when you do your first gig. Because even if you're trying to pretend to be something, everybody in the audience can see what you are because you haven't learned all the tricks of how to cover up who you really are and what you really are at that point, uh, right? Oh, and yes, then, that's so true. And so then after one gig, you start to think you know things. Yeah. That danger of expectation. Even when yeah. you're running new material as an experienced comedian, going from that time it first works yeah. to that time you're trying to replicate that idea <laughs> of when it did work, sometimes it doesn't translate. Yes. And it's because you think you know how it's meant to go rather than that first time when you're just in it, oh. experiencing it. So yeah. suddenly now there's that anticipation of the laugh. There's that expectation of the laugh. And you start to think from this one example, terrible science, like you only run one experiment yes. and you t draw 100% conclusions <laughs> from this one experiment and try to apply them to a completely different environment. And so I often find, I think with comedians, that we're so authentic when we first start. We spend about two, three, four, five, six, seven years, depending on who you are, like learning a whole bunch of ways to ruin that authenticity and cover it up. And then eventually learn how to use those techniques to get back to controlling all our authenticity again. And that's like the journey to your voice, as they sort of say yeah. what it is. Oh, that's, I mean, that's such a, that immediately just brought me back, you know, I mean, this is, you know, a few years ago, seven years ago, you know, that um, when I first started. But I remember when I first got on stage, you know, I was nervous, introverted, and I think I couldn't help but look at my feet, you know. Like I could, you know, I, I think I just kept looking down, looking at my feet, and, um, you know, which I guess was me being authentic. You know, I couldn't help but be, you know, overwhelmed with nerves and stuff, which is something that you start to build up a comedy character the more you do it and you learn you learn to look at the I remember a woman a woman in the scene came up to me and she was like um, I know it's part of your character um, but I think you should try and look at the audience <laughs> 
just at some stage, <laughs> just take a glance every now and again. Yeah, and I was like, I wish it was a character, but I'm struggling to survive up there. I'm doing everything I can not to run off the stage. Yeah. Okay, so well, that's interesting to people because, like, that idea of nerves. Mm. And, like, you know, being, like, nervous about this. Like, I mean, you are standing up in front of yes. people. And then what? you're telling me that that's manifesting itself as being nerve-wracking yes. to you. So what does that feel like? What is that like? Why are you pushing yourself to do something that makes you feel so uncomfortable? Yes, I know. It's it's, it's crazy. I do think public speak. it seems, you know, everyone's fear, you know, seems to be public speaking is number one. It seems to be evolutionarily, evolutionarily hardwired into us not to speak in front of people. And I, I don't know if it's something about reputational damage or something, you know, but there's something about humans that makes us not want to speak in front of it. And I think, I, I mean, I'm not sure, like when I first started doing comedy, I was maybe psychotic about it. Like I, I remember thinking, I want comedy to be my job and I'm going to go out on that stage and I'll probably be bad. Because, you know, I, I, I think I knew enough about comedy to know I'm probably not going to be very good to begin with, but maybe one day I will be good and I'll be able to make money from it. And if I can just live off comedy, that'll be enough. And that was sort of my approach going in. So I guess I had this drive to want to be a full-time, a full-time comedian, so I knew I had to get through it. Um, and I guess I, I do just like making other people laugh. Like the thrill of um, new material working for the first time has never gone away for me. There's something about realizing you can make people laugh with an idea, which is um, still... I don't know, so incredible, and I don't think there's—I don't think I have an endorphin rush like it, apart, you know, apart from that. Do you have a memory of the first time? I, and I mean, on stage, not like in real life, but like, do you remember? Like, was it a joke that was in your first set? Was it a joke that came six months in? or what? But that moment where you're like, this is this is it. Like, this is the joke. This is the moment. This is me being able to con- communicate with this audience a, a unique idea that, like, connects me with them. Is there is there a moment? Was there a joke? Do you remember? Yeah. Yes. I, I, yeah. I, I think there would have been one of my first set. I, I, I can't – I probably can't remember off the, off the top of my head what it is. Sorry. But – I, I definitely, I do, because I remember the first one going well, because I remember there was a guy backstage who came up to me and said, and like, he, I think I told him it was my first time. And he said, oh, it's your first time. Uh, you're probably going to be shit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess. <laughs> yeah, which, well, I mean, I, I think, I mean, it was an awful thing to say, but luckily I had already, I was already thinking You'd already that. thought that. Yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah, I was like, don't that worry. Wasn't, that wasn't the first time that it occurred to you. Yes. That would have been a horrible <laughs> thing if you're like, oh, I never <laughs> considered the possibility <laughs> that it would go badly. <laughs> Can this not always go well? <laughs> I had this incredible interview with Will Anderson where he said the first one always goes well. It's the second one you've got to watch out for. I don't know what you're talking about. And then I went on stage and I did my six minutes or whatever. And I came off and I remember he said, he said something like that was maybe the best debut from Okay. You know, and so that was, I remember being incredibly validating. I mean, he doesn't do comedy anymore. So, you know, but I'm still hung up about what this guy's. After that day, he was like, well, this kid's, this kid's the future. He works in the corrections department, (laughs) ironically. He's in prison, actually. He's, he's in, in prison. prison. Sorry, he's in prison. <laughs> he, he calls it working at the crisis department, but he's in prison. He's in prison. Yeah. That was his last hope, but I'm, <laughs> out of that, I'm out of that job, man. You're on your own. Okay, so when does it start, uh, like, 
working? Because, like, I mean, you've had a reason. Like, because how long did you say that was it? Go seven years. Yeah, seven years. Yeah, ago. so seven years. Like to be where you're at in your comedy career. Like, I mean, ne- it never feels super fast when you're doing it. I yes. imagine yeah. because seven years is a long time yeah. still. <laughs> but like in the grand scheme of somebody's you know comedy career, to be where you are, both like you know in your career. But also just comedically, it feels like you've got to, like, you know, you seem to have a sense of who you are on stage and what sort of jokes you write and how to connect with an audience. And you seem to be in control of that, you know, and to be where you are, like in that period of time feels, that feels like a good advancement. It feels like you you go, how long has it been clicking like that for? Oh, oh, thank you. Yes, no, I, I, that, that's very nice of you to say. I do, I do agree that seven years both feels like a long time, but in my head, I feel like I've still got so much longer to go, and there's still so yeah. much to learn. Oh, I, there is. Yes, like, I mean, I've been doing this nearly thirty years, and yeah. I feel like every single year I learn something yes. new, and I still feel like I have so much to learn. <laughs> yes. Like, I always think about those people who like peak and yeah. then kind of phone it in. Yes, I won't name names, but like, there are uh, the specials Ray, are available. Ray <laughs> <laughs> available on Netflix. Some of my favorite comedians in the world who aren't much different in age to me, mm. who, you know, 10 years ago were doing some of the most compelling work in the world, who now, like, some of it just feels a little bland to yes. me. Like, it, it feels like that there was a point where they peaked, yeah. and now they are never, ever going to go back to what that was. Whereas I, as a comedian, always feel like, oh, man, like, maybe it's because I've never been that good. Like, yeah. as in, like, you know, maybe it'll take me all of my life to even ever aspire to be, you know, to, to that level. But yeah, seven feels like both a long time and a very short time to me. So when did you feel like that the character and the jokes and all those things started to really mesh together? Was it early? Was it like, you know, did it take years? Like where, where did that come along? It, it's interesting. I think, I mean, maybe it was early. Like I, I feel like I, maybe I started to get a sense of who I wanted to be on stage. Like, you know, very quickly I was like, Okay, I'm never going to write. I I, per, I don't want to write jokes about sex, like for example. Like, not that there's anything wrong about you know sex about you know comedy about sex. You know, there's there's great, heaps of great comedy about it. It's just that I felt so many other people are talking about that. I'll never be. I'll never be able to compete. I won't stand out if I talk about that. Um, and then I thought, oh, maybe I'll try. You know, not swear as well. And again, there's nothing wrong with swearing, but I don't know if it suits me. And um, again, it, and it makes you stand out, and also it makes your um, comedy immediately more broadcastable on television. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> or, it is. Uh, yeah. But, and I was and like, but also, as you said, like your style of comedy, yeah. it doesn't help. No, it doesn't. <laughs> like it doesn't. It actually because so much of it is about like how well crafted oh, a sentence is or a word is or like these things, and to put. Like to speak the way that I speak on stage, like part of the swearing in my act is because I want there to be a real appearance of uh, it being a conversation almost like, you know, that it's not meant to sound as written as it is, you know, so that the swearing helps, but we're, you, it would get in the way of what you're trying to do. Yes. I think if I started swear, people would be like, what's great though, if you just did one year, just like real one, just like one real sweary, like all the swear words that I haven't said. Or just do like a version yeah. of a best of, yeah. but with swearing <laughs> for the fucking sunrise. <laughs> <laughs> just the one-off yes. best of, full of swearing. Ray O'Leary up late. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> After dark. <laughs> <laughs> maybe go back into the correction system yeah. like do Johnny Cash style in a prison like do a Folsom Folsom Prison Blues style sort of 
in a very normal observational, yeah. you know, observational yeah. comedy. But he's just swearing. But he's swearing. He's swearing. Like, and like so, real filthy, horrible swearing. He doesn't need to be misogynistic. No, <laughs> like none of this has to do with the joke. Okay, so you make some of these choices comedically. So you're thinking about it, which is, again, like, that in itself is interesting to me. The idea that you're like, okay, well, here are some thoughts around what it is that I will do or I won't do. Did you experiment with anything that you later said, okay, that's not for me? Like, was there a point of time where you tried doing something that, like, you now go, well, that's not part of my comedic you know, repertoire. Yeah, well, I mean, I mentioned earlier doing, I mean, I only, I only think I ended up doing it for three months, but these jokes, the, the material about like sort of the incestuous relations, you know, and f- family and, you know, that that immediately I was like, oh, I'm, I don't want to talk about something like that on stage again. And, and I think there's also a thing of, I don't know, if your family comes and watches you perform. Not and, anymore. Yeah. <laughs> no, actually this year, I, to be fair, my sister, uh, my parents used to come every year, oh, which was nice. To- yeah, oh, they're a bit old now, oh, so yeah. they're just like it just becomes a bit you know harder for them yeah. to do that. Mum came because she loves like I mean part of the reason I you know because I'm from a dairy farm like oh. two hundred people in yeah. where I grew up. So um, my dad's a lifelong dairy farmer. His dad wow. was a dairy farmer. And my brother's a dairy farmer. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. that's that sort of thing. And so my sister, she lives here in the city, and um, this is the first year of the twenty seven that she hasn't come to. So because oh, wow. they're away on holidays. Oh. Um, mum had been to most of them up until that point and dad had been to most with mum <laughs> and I, like it, the greatest act of love of all time because yes. this is a man who I do not believe has ever watched a comedy program, yes. so does not listen to music. Yeah. Like he literally listens to like radio programs about cricket or farming. That is the, the entirety of yeah. his like you know, life experience and he comes and he sits in the audience every year and he sees that people like it and he finds it incomprehensible <laughs> that like people would like it or enjoy it. Not in a negative yeah. way, just in a, yes. Yeah. <laughs> like he might as well be sitting in like a, a, in a different country and I'm in a foreign language and everybody is reacting. He goes, I can see how this is happening, but this is not for me. So, but they got yeah. old enough that now it's a bit hard for them to you know, yes. sit in a theater all. It, it, is that that it is that thing I always feel um, nervous about. I think a lot of comedians do about like their family coming because it does feel like, Oh, they're coming because we're related, not because they yeah. like the, the comedy. No. They're, yeah, they're not. They're not fans. Though I, um, I mean, my mum's very supportive. She does try to come to my shows. Though I think my most recent show, um, she told me she couldn't make it um, because my uncle's dog died. Oh, um, yeah, which is the, the, I think maybe the worst excuse. I feel like I'm feels <laughs> like. I don't even know how she's involved in yeah, that. Exactly. Yeah, she, yeah, she said, I think she did genuinely say something to me like, he's like, a, the dog was like a son to him. And I was like, yeah. I'm, yeah, I was like I'm your son. You know? Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. Should make you think more about the bond between a parent <laughs> yes. and their son. Like, imagine if I were that dog. Yes. <laughs> Surely you would have thought, I'd like to have spent that. <laughs> final moments watching that dog do stand-up comedy. <laughs> I mean, if the dog could do stand-up yeah. comedy, then fair enough. Yes. Uh, okay, so, um, yeah, so you, you moved away from that style of material a bit yeah. more, like talking about that personal stuff, yeah. and you, you know, be more observational. But then you said before that, like, there was also a political bent yeah. early on. How much of that is still in there? It's it's not in there as much, and I, I, I am always... 
I've tempted to go back to it. But the, the I became very cynical very early on in my, in my comedy career about political comedy because my immediate fear became if you do political comedy, the only people who show up to your shows are the people who already agree with it. You know, like if you, if you do a bunch of, you know, jokes about, you know, oh, the left, left-wing people are right or right-wing people are right, then you're only going to get left-wing people showing up or right-wing people showing up. And there's no point in telling them, you know, oh, you know, you what you think is correct, you know, and, and so I became, I immediately became very cynical with that. I thought, oh, what's the point? Um, and, and I did, yeah, I did sort of start to also think, oh, I don't know how much I want to reveal about my personal self on, on stage. I became sort of inse- insecure about that or about like, I don't know. I think I just told a story from my first show and in the show, and I just I, I I cringe thinking people know that about me, sort of some intimate details that I that I told to them, and I, and, I, and maybe I just need to become a better writer or more maybe more controlled about what I share about my personal life. But I I definitely remember feeling like that's a you know real fact about me that is now out in the world, and I wish I had it let the genie out of that bottle, you know, I have a lot of regrets about that. Yeah. So that's interesting to me because, uh, you know, like I'm always talking about personal things in my show, but the truth of it is that like my real life, what's really going on in my life, like is very private to me and I keep that very protected, but I'll give people like you give them a version of what that is, like a story that I'm happy for them to have. And often it's an exaggeration of that story or it's a story that has become an analogy or an allegory for, like something that is very much real and present in yeah. my life. Like my current show is very much about like being afraid of going back outside again, staying inside yeah. too long. And it's through the prism of COVID is yeah. like what I'm using to tell the story, but but it's not really all about yeah, COVID. Yeah, there yeah. are a whole bunch of other things that are true that I'm not telling in yeah. the story that are not for them, you know, but I feel like they're still in the show. Yes, yes. You know, yeah. they're in the show, but they're in a comedic example yeah. or something that I'm willing for people to know about me yes. that doesn't mean that they need to know about yeah. like every you know, terrible thing that's happened. Yes, and, and you can't help but by by writing jokes and by standing up in front on a stage for, you know, X amount of minutes, people do get a sense of who you are, even no matter how much of a front you try to put on. So they are, you know, people still obviously learn about me and they learn about how my brain works because I simply by the words I choose and to write and what I choose to talk about and stuff. So I'm still, they still, you know, they're getting something, they get to learn a bit about me and the bits I, I, I want to show. But I I feel like I've become more guarded over time about what I reveal. And I felt like very early on, Maybe I was just desperate to fill the hour, you know, kind of thing. And I was, and I've shared, you know, intimate stories. And I was like, oh, I never, never again. There's, you know, my dad came to that show. I don't want him to know that. You right. know, you know, yeah, you I know. get that. Yeah. I understand that. What do you think the difference is between, um, cause it is interesting yeah. because of course the person who was on stage yeah. is called Ray O'Leary yeah. and the person in real life is called Ray yeah. O'Leary, but they are two different people yeah. like that. There, there is a Venn diagram that intersects where yeah. they are the same person, <laughs> and then there are bits of the person on stage that aren't you in real life, probably, and there are bits of the you know person who you are in real life that aren't you on stage. Like if somebody only knows the you from on stage versus someone who only knows the you from off stage, like what would be the main? I'm not looking for specific examples. So I'm more like what would be the main difference that they would notice between those two people. Say they were two separate people and they were standing next to each other. What is the main difference between the person that I only know from on stage or the person they would only know from real life? Yes, I think the way I am on stage is very, I don't know, very rigid. I'm very deadpan. You know, yeah, I, 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 I don't laugh at myself. You know, I, I just 
I just stand there, I just sort of deliver, you know, lines. And I th- in real life, I think I'm a lot more conversation. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm a human being, you know. All yeah. human being. <laughs> <laughs> it's not just the whole deadpan <laughs> yes. one-liners. This would have been a tough hour and a half, I've got to be honest with you, <laughs> if that had been the case. <laughs> Uh, what about your philosophy background? Yeah. Like, how does that inform, like, I guess, not just, like, the com- the comedy that you create, but your overall life approach? Like, you know, as in, like, you know, I mean, that's the whole point oh, of philosophy, yes. let's be honest, is the idea that it's meant to be this discussion of, you know, what gives life its yeah. meaning? What is the purpose of life? Yeah. What is the point of life? Like, you've studied these questions, you've asked these questions, and then you've gone into an industry where like at the heart of it, we're still asking those questions. So much comedy is still about, you know, asking those essential questions of what makes us human and why we are like what we are and what is the explanation for all these things. So how does the fact that you clearly have an appetite for thinking about the world and asking those sort of questions, how do you actually live your life? Does it inform your life as well? Do you have a filler? Like, I guess there's a central conceit to this show, which is I ask people if they have a life philosophy of any kind. And, you know, sometimes it's like, you know, live life, love. It doesn't have to be like, you know, an actual philosophy. But for you, like, do you have a guiding principle? Is there one school of philosophy that you particularly, you know, respond to? Or is there like a, you know, a a distillation of an idea that you can tell us about? Yeah, well, um, I mean, two two thoughts come to mind, but... um the, the the school of thought, at least uh, for philosophy, that I, I'm drawn to is uh, utilitarianism, sort of the the greatest good for the greatest number. And I feel like, I mean, it sounds quite simple, but I feel like it can be kind of a challenging moral principle that I certainly do not live up to. Um, where you and um, and that's I don't like. So I'm vegan, for example. Like I feel morally obliged to to be vegan. Um, I feel very guilty about the amount of money I do not donate to charity. That's something that um, hangs over my head. There. Um, there's a um, a movement known as effective altruism mm-hmm. about um, donating your money to um, very specific charitable organisations that I'm and I feel guilty about the amount of money I don't donate to them and um, the amount of money that you should be like I mean Peter Singer who yes, is a Peter moral Singer, philosopher yeah. has a lot of thoughts around what percentage and again it comes down to that idea of like I mean he's thought experiments, much like the trolley problem, yeah. are ones that if he runs you through, like yeah. in the way that he runs you through, you think, oh, shit, you're yeah. right. Like, yes. it does make sense to cut that person up. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it was Peter Singer. I uh, did. I used to do a um, stand-up routine about his drowning child problem uh, way back in the day, and that was something that's something that weighs very heavily on me. I mean, I can't see any flaws with his argument, and, and then, but he leaves you with a very... The, with the drowning child one in particular, and if, but if you follow it to its logical conclusion, you think you know I should live a life barely above subsistence mm. and, and donate all my money to charity, which I, mean, I obviously I, don't do. That is, and and look, it's a hard expectation yeah. for us to have, and yeah. it's very hard to do that individually. Yeah. This is the problem with a lot of this stuff. That yeah. if that effective altruism or the idea that like you know you shouldn't, because there's a general principle, like yeah. it, like to really dumb it down to its most basic level is like that you shouldn't have too much until everyone has enough. Yes, yeah. Like, that is essentially all it is. Yes. Like, we're not saying that at some stage you can't have too much, yes. but the requirement for you having too much is that everybody has enough. Yes, right? exactly, yes, yes. And yes. until everybody has enough, you can't have more, yes. right? So that's a good principle if everybody was living by it. It's right. just a hard one for you to be the solo person yes. flying the flag for. You're really just losing out there and the rest of society moves on as it will. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. It's pretty hard to convince. You're like, come on, you don't need a new Apple yeah. iPhone. Come on, yeah. come, come donate some bid, malaria bid nits with me. You know? Yeah. No one wants to do that. I mean, it's uh, a great thing if everyone was doing it. Yeah. We'd fix the world. Everything would be yeah. fine. Like, I mean, the fact that, like, there's 100 people who have half of the stuff in the yes. world. Like, I mean, the easiest way for us to fix the majority of problems here on the planet is literally to just redistribute redistribute oh. wealth. I thought you were going to sort of be hitting revolution style. I thought I mean, we were I, a I, call I to mean, arms. I, look, I mean, it probably is the way we'll have to do it. <laughs> I, 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 I actually think there's a, a, a much more elegant way is most of them want to go to space. Whack no. them into space. Don't let them back. That is, I mean, essentially that is the problem. Like, I mean, we shoot 100 people into space. We throw, tell them Elon Musk is throwing a big Mars party. You're all invited to the opening. And we just leave them there. They can start their new world or whatever they want to do with 100 rich people. They're all old white men, so good luck with that. That'll be fun. And then, and then we can just kind of redistribute their self stuff and get on with things. Uh, you as a person, yeah. yes. You're, so, firstly, there's that the yeah. utilitarian, the utilitarian yeah. approach. Um, you said there was two, though. Yeah, and then I guess the second one, and maybe more, maybe how sort of how I live my life, or think is sort of a, a, a fear of death, a fear of a fear of death, and um, basically, I'd love to live forever um, as my as my big as a dream. Though I don't, um, I, I do in no way work out. I don't eat healthily, mm. but you know, I'd love to live forever. Um, and the, uh, but the truth of it is also that yeah. like working out and eating well. Yes. Spoilers to anyone who's uh, mistakenly come onto this podcast thinking it's like a your health podcast, yeah. but that's not going to make you live forever. No. Either. <laughs> like that's <laughs> that doesn't that doesn't do it all. It doesn't. Turns out that doesn't work either. Yeah. That is is absolutely useless. Yeah. I mean, it can make you live for a couple more years. Yeah. Is it worth it? Yeah. I don't know. Like at the end of the day, when you think about how much time you spent trying to live forever, yeah. like and all the things that you did not do while you were trying yes. to keep living, I don't know if that is. Yes. You know, Not so if, worth it. If there's a scenario in which you could live forever, yeah. um, then it's not going to come through diet and exercise. No, it's be technology. Yes, or that's right. Some scientist working away in a lab, yeah. playing around with DNA. Or some evolution in yeah. when it comes to like what human beings even are. If yes. we become you know, this next stage of like you know, technology yes. or whatever it is, it's not going to be about who had the most green smoothies <laughs> or whatever, right? Like, but, but So do you think that you would like to live forever? Yeah, like yeah. this is... Because to me, I'm very much the Highlander slash Queen who wants to live forever approach. Like <laughs> it feels to me at my age, you know, nearly fifty now, fifty oh, next year. Oh, congratulations! Where I, <laughs> thanks. Yeah, I'll raise my bat at fifty. I don't know if I'm going to make it to a hundred. So, um, it feels like already there is part of the natural human cycle where, like, it's not my world anymore. Yeah. And nor should it be. Yes, like, yes. it feels like it should be the world of the next yeah. generation. I'm glad that I'm still allowed to be here, but <laughs> it feels like it is, you know, it's up to the next generation yes. now and it's their world. The idea that that might be amplified through not just 50 years, but like, say, 100 yeah. years or 150 years or 500 years is almost a little terrifying. Yes, I, I always I already worry that my politics are out of touch with the modern generation and I'm only 30. Imagine sort of, yeah, how robot racist I'm going to be right. a, a thousand years old or something. Well, there'd be things that we all believe now. Yes, absolutely. That in through future eyes. Like, I mean, I think you saying being vegan is, yeah. that's the one that I always come to. If yes. I try, because you know that, that thought experiment of thinking, what is it that we do now? Yes. That like, you know, 10 years from now or 50 years from now or whatever, they yeah. will look back on and say that was the equivalent of slavery or yes. that was the equivalent of like, yes. yeah, something you thought was normal yeah. that was absolutely... Terrible, and you probably should have known at the time it was terrible. 
Um, I've been a vegetarian for 25, oh, nearly wow. 30 years, 30 years probably. Yeah. Um, but my parents are dairy farmers, yeah. so I still drink milk because I've disappointed them enough. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I get, I yeah. get what you mean. Like yes. it is that idea of there are things now, you at 30, there are things now that like 20 years from now, people look back and go, you did that? Yes. You, you did what? You wore a tie on stage? <laughs> you know the tie was a symbol of patriarchal <laughs> representation that you were lording in front of people, basically yeah. making them think about your penis constantly when you're standing on stage. That's <laughs> offensive. That you're basically assaulting them. You did not create a safe space for them to enjoy comedy as they're looking at your paisley penis yeah. hanging from your I, neck as they're trying to enjoy it. I actually already think that, and that is why, oh, yeah. I, wear, that's why I wear the tie. <laughs> that's, that's on purpose. That's I, <laughs> Every day yeah. when you pick out a tie, you're like, here we go again. <laughs> it was the most patriarchal tie <laughs> I own. <laughs> Which one of these subliminally reinforces the patriarchy <laughs> while I'm on stage? Uh, okay, so yeah. I, I, I'm fascinated by this live forever. Yes. So, um, talk to me about what what fascinates you about that I, and why. I, I think it's sort of a, 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 a you know I like being alive and you know and I don't know and I'd love it to continue for as long as long as possible. You know you know being alive being alive is great. And then and I guess as a subsidiary of that, I think what I've the the thing is I know oh well I probably will die. And then it became a thing of well what's another way of living forever beyond death and it's kind of being remembered that's which is you know this desire to be remembered for a long long time which is like I, I, there's a very embarrassing but there's that Kurt Cobain quote about like you die twice you know once when you actually die and then when you are remembered for the last time or or, or whatever the, the the quote is I'm butchering it probably but that has definitely stayed with me this idea that you know one day I could be forgotten and when I studied when I was writing in philosophy one of my big thoughts when I was at uni was what you need to do is be someone like Socrates, someone like Locke, someone you know, like one of the big names who comes up with an idea that's so persuasive, you know, so important. People remember you forever. Um, and and that man, it was easy back then. It was like, easy. Back I mean, then. people people hadn't even begun thinking. Nothing was that. <laughs> yes. Nothing was hack, right? Like you know, the first person who you're like, oh, that's a, that is a good point. <laughs> By the times a thousand people have made that same point, you're like, all right, man, I get it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they were just the first ones around. It's, right. so un it's so unfair. I could have said everything's made of water. That's his. Yeah. <laughs> that guy's remembered forever. He was the first one. You don't um, think I, I like could have said to somebody, like, you know, treat other people how you want to be treated. You don't think I couldn't have come up with that? Didn't need Jesus to come and come up with that or, or, or whatever your religious leader who came up with that was. Turns out it was quite a common idea. That's, re that's religious figure hack. Yes. Be nice to other people. Treat them how you want to be treated. Heard it. Heard it, mate. Where's, where's every man out for himself? Yeah. Where's that? Where's the contrary? Oh, no, that is the new religion. Yes, God's rewarding you by making you yes. rich. That's, you know, anyway, come and sing. We've got cool bands on the weekend. Everyone's got a cool haircut. Prosperity. God wants you to be rich. So uh, living forever. This is yep. interesting to me. This is yep. where this shit gets really yes. interesting because no one lives, lives forever. Yeah, like, it turns out. Yeah, it's like a... not even, I mean, yes, like Socrates and yeah. Kurt Cobain. But in yep. a general sense, everyone's graves go unmourned eventually, yes. right? Like, you know, you have to be one of the most exceptional people who has ever lived to be, yes. to be remembered forever. Yes. However, we also now live in this other era where – Everything is being recorded. Mm -hmm. So 
the idea was in the old days that like you know socrates would have to say something good enough that somebody like wrote it down yes. and repeated it and like and other people would have to rewrite it down and keep it safe on the scrolls and whereas yeah. now every single person is recording it's, it, it seems every single moment of their life like you know literally there are people whose lives are streaming their lives yes. you know <laughs> creating this content like yeah. getting it out there so then where does the idea of living forever fit into that world where technically, I mean, this conversation it's got to be really could good. could live for as long as you know this like recording exists and the capacity to download this recording exists. Like it's it's changed the game in yeah. a lot of ways in regard to that. That's true, and it's something I haven't I haven't considered this idea that you know because so much of my life has been recorded, you know, digitized, um, stored on some server somewhere that maybe in some sense I'll 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 stay alive. But I I think. There's still something in me that is like, I need to make an impact. You know, it's, it's not enough to be a 10 second Instagram story on, you know, some, on someone's phone. You know, I need to do something that like, you know, like write a bit that's so good that people will talk about it in, you know, a hundred years. You know, I, I think it also even shapes the way I do comedy. You know, like I don't like to write topical gear in my material because I worry it's not timeless and I won't be able to keep doing it and people in the future won't be able to look at it. And it's something I worry of it's like it seeps into you know every part of my brain There's, and i i it's I, I mean it's just an impossible dream to achieve but it's it's the thing i think about of like how do i be so good that you know even when i die people will still think about me yeah, so in a sense i'm not dead right yeah interesting yeah. and what's the value of that for you Ex exactly like, because that's the thing that i, I find again because i mean i imagine based on the conversation that we've had but like i'll ask yeah. the question anyway because i ask it all the time yeah. uh what do you think happens when we die Great question and um, nothing. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I go, I go on the ground. I'm a bit of you know fertilizer or or whatever, whatever will happen, or maybe I get you know turned into zeros and ones or whatever. But if this body dies, I reckon that's it for me. There's no. Yeah. I, so why do you care then about being remembered? Why I, Why is it important in any way? Because you won't be aware of yeah. it if it. I I have a little bit in my show at the moment about um uh, the art protests. You know the climate change art protests. And, you know, one of the arguments, like when they threw soup on sunflowers, was that they were attacking uh, Vincent Bang. You can pronounce his last name however you want. Go <laughs> well, golf. Apparently, Cunt. he's apparently the close. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, um, you know, the idea, he didn't know his um, uh, art was in a music. Yeah. Never yeah. knew, right? Died yeah. before he would ever know that he would become one of the most influential artists of all time. Talking about people who are remembered. He is remembered. He is remembered and he is loved and he's revered and he taught us something about the human experiment. But he doesn't know any yes. of that. Died unaware of that. So yes. if what if you, what you say is right, and I subscribe to the same, like none of us know, but yes. like if my best guess is also what you said that yes. we die and there is no more existence yes. and this is all there is, then why do you care about being remembered? Yeah, I know it's insane. Yeah. <laughs> there's no, there's no, there's genuinely no, there's genuinely no good, good reason for it. No, I, I agree 100 percent with you. You're right. This is it's nonsense. It's so silly, but it's something that drives me. But yes, I, yeah. I, um, I mean, I agree. I, I, I'm also a firm believer in sort of this idea that if there's something you don't know about and you can't know about it, you, it doesn't really harm you, and it can't harm you or, or benefit you if it doesn't impact you. And yet, still, you know, and I know this, and I, I guess, I mean, it's maybe it's an issue that my philosophy to training is is still yet to be completed. But I still have these contradictory thoughts in my head of. You know, like, you know, even though I know it's pointless, it's not going to matter to me. I'm going to be long dead. But there's still something in me that's like, I would still, I just want to be remembered. You know, this is the best I can settle for. You know, I'm not going to live forever. So the best I can get 
is someone still liking my jokes in a hundred years time. It's all, it's, you know, all I've got. Do you have, other than longevity, do you have, I guess, I guess what I'm asking is like a creative aspiration. Mm. Like, cause you know, seven years in, yeah. like you're at a, it feels to me like, you know, it's often a comedy career like happens in these like, you know, sort of steps and they're only kind of observable almost from the outside. Like you're the person who like, you know, is gradually losing weight or gradually putting on weight. And to you, you don't really notice. Whereas someone who hasn't seen you for six months no. suddenly walks in and, you know, notices. No, you've, because- been, you've been talking to my parents. <laughs> <laughs> they said, look, can you please ask him some questions about this needing to be remembered forever? He doesn't believe, like, we just want him back in the correction system. Could he just use that degree? Um, no, I, I guess you're now at the point where there's a mastery to what it is that you do. And when you start to discover, like, you know, it's almost like you get to the point where you learn to like drive the car or fly the plane or whatever it is. And you've gone beyond the point where your brain has to start thinking, look in the rear vision mirror, like turn the indicator on all these sort of things. They just start to, you can do those things. And so then you are able to say, you know what, I'm just going to take a side road today. I'm going to, you know, see like how fast this car can go. I'm going to like see what I can do with it. You master the essential ingredients or the you know, keys to your game, your comedic game. And then you're like, okay, what's the now the next level of this? Like, what is it that I take this to now that I know how to do it? It feels to me like that's where you are now. You're starting to realize, oh, like what I do is connecting with people, not just, I think part of it is about the first time it happens in somewhere that isn't your own community or your own country. Yes. The idea that you, yeah, you've come to Australia now, like you, you know, you've done a few TV shows, you've done some stand up here. You can see that it's connecting with people that, like, you know, somewhere that doesn't know you, doesn't know the cultural references, any of these things. You have this act that, like, what you're talking about works like more than just this one place, and you start to see the possibilities of that. So, comedically, what are your aspirations? Oh, it, is that is that accurate? By the way, that might be a completely inaccurate thing oh, for me to say. Oh, so it's a very no, lovely, a lovely compliment. You're know, talking about, you know, flying the plane. I still feel like. You know, I'm in the airport trying to figure out how to buy a ticket. You know, how do I, how do I yeah. get it? Yeah. I mean, I, and there is an yeah. element of you always feel like that yes, too, right? Yes. But I, yeah, the, the aspirations, I, I, I think I just, I just look at, I guess, the comedians who I, who I feel like are, are above me. And I just think, you know, how do I achieve what they've achieved? Oh, I like, I'd, I'd love to, you know, I mean, in, in terms of like concrete, career aspirations there's things like you know getting a, a netflix special or a special of some degree you know whatever the streaming platform is that exists <laughs> yep. this comes out. <laughs> whichever one is still left but, but um but you know in terms of like creative aspirations which i think is more interesting like i guess i've i've, I've touched on it earlier like being able to i think talk about one topic for an extended period of time like an interesting idea be able to explore it um you know that's that's to me is is such a dream and I feel like all the greatest comedians are, are the ones who do that you know like James Acaster has a story about um, having a mental breakdown on the Great British Bake Off yeah, I think it's, it's one incredible of the, it's one of the greatest bits of all time it's no so, doubt it's so good and he just is able to talk about this one thing for so long um, Norm Macdonald his bit that starts off about the news and ends up with him talking about how he would um, murder a woman <laughs> it's, um, it's I mean it sounds very dark but it's an incredibly well-written um, bit it, it's just it's just that is something in my head that I still feel like I'm com- I'm still trying to approach these very extended long routines 
um, that is creative. You mentioned two people there yeah. that like have managed to do, like you said, these longer routines, but they're all still essentially joke crafts yeah. people. Like, I mean, I mean, I love James Acaster. Yeah. I mean, I love Norm Macdonald yeah. as well, but I think James Acaster is one of those people that, like, the way that he thinks about comedy mm. and, like, even the form itself. Like, yeah. I think, this, I don't know if the British Bake Off story is in the, I can't remember which story, like, show that's it's, in. But, that's in Cold Lasagna. Oh, yeah. So, no, yeah. So, it, 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 whatever the one before that one where he kneels down for the first 15 oh, minutes. Oh, that's so good. Like, just because the, the premise is that the show only <laughs> starts when you stand up. Like, and it's like, it's just such a good bit. And then it comes back and, like, means something later on. And it's just one of those ones where I always, like, I love that you, yeah. like, the way you think about comedy. Yes. Like, you don't just think about, like, here's a joke, but you then take a step back and go, how can I really make this joke actually yeah. part of the presentation of yeah. the jokes? Yes. Which it, I think is incredible. It was, it was it's such that special. I think that's also the one where he comes out, he kneels down, and he mm. says, how um how people in the back going? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Because <laughs> the people in the front already get, get spoken to too much, and no one in the back is expecting it. It's, it's so funny, and it's on. Yeah, it just feels like on such another level. Even like watching um John Crookshanks. Oh yeah, a, a, brilliant. That's funny that you mentioned John because he's one of those comedian comedians. Like in that he's, I think, and I can understand why because he's hard to categorize for people who don't haven't seen him a lot mm. like he's too broad for people who think they like smart comedy yeah. and he's sometimes too smart for people who think <laughs> they like broad comedy because he's this amazing mix of both of those yes. things at once yes and yes. i think that when people fully understand that he's there's there's a moment in his future that i think people are gonna it feels yeah. like almost like now like yeah. he's one of those people that it keep people keep mentioning to me of going you know like he's doing great work and every time i see him he's doing incredible work it's phenomenal. It's a show. I mean, it was so good. I wish I hadn't seen it. You know, like I. But it's I've, in terms of creative aspirations. Like I, I watched his show and I was like, how hard the people in this room right now are laughing, laughing. about about cordial. Mm. <laughs> like he's doing observational comedy about cordial, and it's such a brilliant insight, and it feels so timeless, and it's so good, and it's just that's that, that is the kind of you know thing I'd, I'd you know want people to be saying about me. And the thing I still feel like I'm you know you know, slowly, you know, marching towards in my comedy is this trying to be able to come up with something, you know, so insightful about a topic that no one's really talking yeah. about that, you know, you're just like, oh, Christ, I wish I had thought of that. And that, that feels like a whole, you know, John Crookshanks' hour feels like just that constantly. And I mean, I don't think there's anyone who makes anyone laugh harder than he does at the moment. Yeah. Like, he, that's what he does do. Yes, he, yeah. like, makes people laugh. Yes. Very, very hard. Um. Uh, okay, but uh, he's not on the podcast, <laughs> so you know you are. So like, <laughs> but no comedic aspirations. I think that is a good way to look at that. Yeah. I, I I'm aware of the fact that we're actually running out of time. This has been such a fascinating chat, and I've loved it. But um, I've got some more standard questions that I tend oh, to ask. And oh, if yeah. I don't get to ask those, then you know, like the the fans will riot. Exactly. <laughs> I imagine. Yes. I look at no feedback. <laughs> take no feedback, positive or negative. But I like to imagine. This is often on this podcast, like, I'll be like, and then people complain about this, and people are like, oh, do they? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I imagine they do. They might not at all. They might love this, or they might hate this. I'm not sure. Or care. Um, but, uh, okay, so this one. We're talking about death. This is a question that I stole. I did not stole, because I, I absolutely acknowledge where it came from every time. So I don't believe that is stealing. But I 
have, did not come up with this question myself. Kurt Bronholler, who you might know, oh, a yes. really fantastic American comedian, uh, was on Pete Holmes's podcast, and uh, he asked him this question, and I love this question, which is, would you prefer to know when you die or how you die? Oh. Oh, lordy. That's, that's a great one. And I think, I think because of how much time I want to have, I think it's a when you die, I think. Is, um, and also, it also gives you clues to how you die. I mean, like, like, well, at least the stuff you you want to know. Like, it's true. Like, like, if it's ninety, you suspect it's probably not monkey knife or whatever. <laughs> That's good. I, and I can keep monkey knife. <laughs> I can keep that in the repertoire. Keep getting down there every Friday night. Put a put a few dollars on the. On this the, is good news. I'm not going to die, this guys. <laughs> Not even wearing my helmet, yeah. my safety helmet yeah. anymore. Put me in the brig with bubbles. I'll, <laughs> I'll go toe to toe. I got time. Yeah, yeah. Do you think so? Like, let's say that this could be absolute locked in. We come yeah. up with some way of determining that you know how you die and when you die, but it is only publicly available to find out one of those two things. If you found out when you died, do you think that would substantially alter the way that you lived? So. If it was, say, that you've got another 50 years, would that be very different to if you found out you had another five years? Would you be living your life in any way differently in those two situations? I, I think if I found out I had another five years, yep. I think that would change things. I don't, I don't know what would happen. Maybe I'd you know, start going on more lavish holidays or something. But 50 years, my fear is nothing would change. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm honest enough with myself yeah. to know I'd be. I'd probably be like. I've still got time. Yeah. <laughs> I've still got. But well, I, that's kind of life. Yes, it is. Like fifty years is kind of life. Yes, exactly. Like you're thirty. That's eighty. That's life. That's that's, that's kind of what you're on at the moment. <laughs> if things work out well. <laughs> that's true. I should. Ba I do yeah. basically know that already. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and so yeah, I guess. I mean, I, I I like to think I work well to a deadline. You know, uh -huh. deadlines uh, yeah. make, make me a bit more. <laughs> so hopefully it would push me a little. But I think that, yeah, the the honest answer is, I mean, we all know we're going to die at around 80 or 90 yeah. anyway. So it probably best wouldn't. Best case scenario. Yeah, best case scenario. So it probably wouldn't change much. But I think it's kind of what I, it's definitely the one I'd prefer to know because I think, I think if it, if it was much, much sooner, I would definitely start working a bit harder, you know. Do you think if you knew how you were going to die, um, uh, it would, like, would you be the sort of person, so say, for example, it was something that was reasonably common. Say it was car accident. Yeah. I don't know if you drive. Do you drive? No, I don't drive. Okay, so that's probably yeah. not going to be that common. Yeah. Um, uh, what's your, do you ride a bicycle? No, I walk. walk. I, I walked here. Okay, yeah, okay. I'm a walker as well. Yeah. Uh, so, um, but let's say they say that you die while walking. There's some, like a, hilariously, yeah. uh, Seinfeld style, <laughs> A comedian dies while air conditioner falls out of like your window and crushes somebody down below. That's yeah, yeah. that's what happens. Would you? Do you think that that would stop you from walking places where there? Were, like, would you change your behaviour based oh. on the idea of how you die? Oh yeah, I could have. I well, it depends. If I was like died in a hospital, I was like, I'll be pretty. <laughs> ne never take me there. I can't go to <laughs> the, the ambulance. <laughs> Send them away <laughs> to keep me healthy. I got to stay away from this doctor. <laughs> I will not come and visit your baby. No, that's where I die. Don't you understand? Nice trap. <laughs> um, I think. I mean, the thing is, I mean, if it was something like walking, 
then I mean the thing is I you gotta do the cost benefit analysis. Right. Like you gotta you have to get around somewhere by walking. You don't drive, you don't ride a bike yeah. and also it's good for your health. Yes, exactly. To walk. It's the only basically the only form of exercise I yeah. do. Um so I think I would just walk but you know, maybe look up look up a bit look yeah. up a bit more. <laughs> look up a, just a little bit more. Yeah. But the the thing is also like we live our entire lives, you know, having yeah. to work out ways to I mean, navigate these risks. Like, I mean, yeah. with the pandemic, this mm. is clearly what we're in now. This is yeah. the most practical example of it in our lifetimes. Yes. Where is that? Like, we're all aware that COVID's not over. Yes. We just got to a place where we were like, it was controlled enough that we could minimize the risk to the point where we've decided that is an acceptable risk for yeah. getting on with the less. It has not <laughs> yes. gone away. Like, in the same ways, a lot of people could die in car accidents yes. and people still drive cars. Yes. Like, the risk we take, we feel like the benefit is you know, way, outweighs the the negative that comes with it. Yeah. So, um, okay. So, a best piece of advice or worst piece of advice that you've ever been given, you can answer both, but like one or the other, whatever floats your boat. Is there a terrible piece of advice you've been given, or something that you believe to be true that you've found out that isn't true, or the opposite? Some, someone gave you a great piece of advice that you'd like to share. That's, uh, I, I think. Maybe one of the, the for some reason my mind immediately went to um, a driving instructor I had oh, yeah. for about two lessons. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it didn't work out. Yeah, we didn't already know. Out. We already know how this story ends. So. <laughs> the worst advice he gave me was keep going. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> how do you feel about walking? Yeah. <laughs> it was something I remember back. It was back when I was thinking about going to uni. And I was thinking I would pursue economics. And I think one of the reasons I gave him was like, you'd make a lot of money doing economics, um, you know, working in that field. And he said, um, I can't even actually remember the actual words he said, but it was definitely along the things like, you know, there's more to life than making money, you know, like, you know, so what if you make a lot of money? And that's, and that, that sort of has definitely stuck with me, you know, this idea that, you know, so what if your bank account has a lot of numbers in it? I mean, obviously it's very, no, I mean, it's pretty easy to say, you know, when you're, doing okay and you know you don't have to worry about that kind of thing but um it's definitely true you know there's more you know you you know you want to have a life that's you know for most of us yes the pursuit like i mean this in is, the west at least it's yeah. yeah like i mean again this comes back to this idea of we're not talking about people who don't have enough we're talking about this idea of what's enough and then what's too much or what like so there's i mean there's just so many studies that show that mm. there are diminishing returns on yes. over the levels of having enough yes. like that it's very important to have enough but after that yeah. like having heaps doesn't actually substantially add to your happiness yes, it yes. often creates more headaches yes than Abs- necessary absolutely yes and i and i feel great that you know we're we're able to do this job which i you know i take a huge amount of fulfillment and satisfaction from and i don't mind i've been watching all my regular friends um, achieve all the um, life milestones that I probably should have achieved if I had done a normal job, like buy a house and things like that. You know, that's, that's fine. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm living a f- more fulfilling life, um, you know, getting to do stand-up comedy. Uh, okay. So uh, answer me this then. Uh, this is uh, one of these questions that like, um, this, this is not like a, um, a heavy question necessarily, unless you want to take it there, but it can just be a fun question. I guess I'll give you that proviso, which is if you had a moment of your life that you got a do-over on, you can have a do-over of any moment in your life. It can be a, a big thing if you want, but it doesn't have to be, is I guess what I'm saying. It can be just a fun example as well, but you get a second chance. Is there any any moment that you would love to have a second second chance at? Oh, a second chance. Yeah. Because my immediate thought was um, there was an hour show I did once that I, that I loved performing. It was so it was so much fun and it was maybe the best an hour show I've ever done. And 
and I was thinking maybe I'd do that again because it was just so much so enjoyable to do it the first well, time. Well, you could do that. Again. Yes, I, yeah, I could just write a good hour show. <laughs> I mean, that is actually something that is <laughs> yeah. well within your control. In fact, you're the only person who can control that. <laughs> I mean, imagine what that feeling would be like <laughs> to do a really yes. fun hour of stand-up yes. comedy. Yes. If only. Please come to my Please thank comedy. you for giving me this hypothetical scenario in which I can indulge this fantasy. <laughs> the, the crowd on this night was so hot. <laughs> <laughs> and I've really only ever been uh, trying to recapture that yes. moment. i got to be honest with you. And now this guy's offered me a hypothetical situation in which I can. So I'm going back to that. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> right. I didn't even think about that. But I, 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 you offered me the chance to replay any moment from my life. And I chose the um, one, of my, one of the few opportunities where I get to perform stand-up comedy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what an amazing day it was. <laughs> you, you won't believe it. I did stand-up comedy, and it was really fun for an hour. Anyway, come and see my show, touring all over Australia, then New Zealand. <laughs> uh, your show is touring. Um, it's at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival at the moment, but by the time people hear this, the festival will be over because it's over in two days. Um, but uh, uh, you are doing some other touring, though, aren't you? Yes, I'm going to Sydney Comedy Festival yes. in mid-May, and then after that I'll be in New Zealand and Auckland and Wellington doing the New Zealand Comedy Festival. Which is brilliant. Yes. Uh, so that'll be great fun, and there are plenty of people who listen to this podcast in New Zealand, and I've had a little <laughs> New Zealand guest run recently as well, so yes. I'm hoping there's even some more Kiwi ears on the podcast at the moment, which has been fun. And of course, uh, you've been, uh, you know, been on, uh, have you been paying attention here in Australia? Um, which is, I guess, probably the thing that most people in Australia currently know you from, yes, I would so, imagine. Yes, but so. that's been like, were you doing, how did that happen? Were you doing, have you been paying attention in New Zealand first and then they saw you do that or did they? Like, how did the Australian, how did you appearing on the Australian version of that show come about? It's, um, it's just, um, career advice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and why don't they call me anymore? Like, why is that? No. <laughs> How'd you get that? Imagine if that's what it was. I was like, how did you get that? <laughs> there's, no, there's no podcast. Just, just been trying to build it's up like to this question. Up. I was like, you got Rob Sitch's number? <laughs> I have Rob's yeah. Come on, guys. Yeah, I think I think I've got it. As it's well. all it's all fun, <laughs> fun and games, but come on, guys. <laughs> I um, it was yeah. I did the New Zealand version first. Yeah. So the new yeah, the New Zealand version ran from I think twenty. It's started in twenty nineteen, and I and I was doing that, and then um, um, Melanie Bracewell I think helped me um connect with the producers of the Australian version. I started talking to them, and they were like, yeah, we'd love you know. I was like, oh, I'd love to come and watch the show get filmed, and then they were like, oh, we'd love to have you on the show, and um, but then the pandemic happened, and I oh this or well, the second half of it did at least in New Zealand. Yep. We we had a case, and then we shut all the borders again I and remember. stuff, and um, and we had a sort of a lockdown that kind of never ended. A sort of, I mean, I, I probably shouldn't talk to someone in Melbourne about how yeah. how bad lockdowns were, but this was <laughs> you know this one went on for you know a month, two months. <laughs> no, I think it was was it three months? I forget, but it sort of it dragged yeah. no, on. I remember, yeah. yeah, the Delta one with no end in sight, mm-hmm. um, and um. And yeah, but then uh, that was that was basically yeah. I guess the New Zealand one ended up being an audition for me being in the Australia one, and I'm very lucky and grateful I got to do it because um, yeah, it's, I think it's basically yeah the biggest thing I've done in Australia, and it's um shocking to me at least some, for, in New Zealand I feel like sort of no offense to any New Zealanders who are listening, but I feel like New Zealanders 
um, are very relaxed about who appears on TV. You know, like I think that it's not it's it's not exciting. I think to a New Zealander to see that another New Zealander has been on TV. Like, it doesn't feel like it's a big enough country or industry. Yeah, that you're like, of course, some... people we know are on TV. Yes, of course, there aren't any other people. Yes. <laughs> like, of course, I know someone who's appeared. Yeah. There has to be, yeah. yeah. Whereas in Australia, like Australia, like you know, there's like a there's even a minor paparazzi here, isn't there? Like, there's a you get I Daily mean, Mail articles. Yes, I mean like. For a small percentage of the population, yes. but yes, there yes. is. You're yes. right. Whereas in New Zealand, you know, you can't generate celebrity gossip. You know, someone tried to set one up, and the first article was like, "We caught this guy vacuuming his car." You know, it's like that's like, so what? You know, people need to vacuum their cars. Yeah, um, but what was he vacuuming? Right, <laughs> that's what I want to know. It was it was cocaine with his nose. Yeah. Okay. Oh well, there you go. That feels like it feels like they've really buried the lead on that. <laughs> yeah, to be honest, true. to describe it as vacuuming his car. <laughs> Um, but yeah like I mean particularly like a show like Have You Been Paying Attention though because like of all the comedy shows in Australia Mm. it is uh, and and I don't mean this in any way disrespectfully I mean this as a compliment it is a very mainstream show Mm. like the show itself is not mainstream as a a pejorative in any way like it is a brilliant show full of you know incredibly funny lines they cast great comedians they edit it like so well, like, because you know, having like done that experience, like for people at home, and I don't think this is a grand secret. Like, I mean, they obviously tape a little bit more than they use, oh, yes, and yes. like everybody has a go at like you know the answers, yeah. and then they the way that they edit then that together into a show where they get enough of the right answers and enough of the comedic answers, and everybody gets a go and they get the interact. Like, it's a really well made show, mm. but it's a well made show that like people who wouldn't necessarily be, you know, necessary fans of the comedy festival or follow stand-up comedy in general. They will watch that show and see comedians. So there is a different level of being comedy famous, whereas, like, people would be able to say, oh, yeah, I know who Steen Raskopoulos is or whoever, like, where you're like, he's comedy famous. Whereas, like, going on Have You Been Paying Attention makes you a bit mainstream Australia famous. And that is a different... Like that is people recognizing you in the street and being excited about it. Yeah, so that's that that happens to me now, in Australia, yeah. which is crazy because I've ne- I've not spent many much time in Australia at all. But now you know I've I walk to gigs and you know I've had people look at me and go Kiwi. Yeah. <laughs> 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 hey, I don't. I don't know if it was. A, I don't know if it, maybe I had a maybe I had a particular smell. Or I, was, I was walking with my beak close to the nose, looking for grubs. But no, um, no, that's them going. I recognise, yes. and this is what I remember. Yes. And, 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 yeah. and, and the audience who are coming to my festival show, I'm like, these people have seen me on Have You Been Paid Attention. I could tell this is the demographics of people who watch broadcast TV. You know, there's families with children who come to my show, which is again, a, this is the thing though about like not swearing, right? Yes, like that you. Do have that capacity. Yes. And that is, to me also, like I so say, Carl Barron, who's a brilliant Australian yes. observational yeah. stand-up comedian who doesn't swear either, yeah. and has had this incredible career in Australia with really doesn't do a lot of television, doesn't really do any of those things, just has built this reputation from doing great stand-up shows, but also a stand-up show that literally you can take, you know, your eight-year-old kid to, like yeah. as well. You know, they might not understand everything, but they won't be exposed to anything yes. that like is bad for them. And- of course, the great thing about that is because some comedians would look down their nose at that, yeah. like, right? Yeah. Like, they would dismiss that person because of that. But I remember, so back when Dane Cook, do you remember Dane oh, Cook? Oh, Dane Cook, yeah. So Dane Cook, like, was, like, for people that don't know, Dane Cook was when MySpace, because that's where it was. He built, he was one of the first comedians who was able to 
build a career outside the mainstream media. He built his through MySpace and he was like a good looking young man and like he, you know, like teenage girls liked him. And there was a real snobbery within the, co- the established comedy community about Dane Cook and, you know, like the fact that his audience were mostly teenage girls and this sort of thing. And I remember reading an interview with Chris Rock in Rolling Stone magazine and he was talking about the idea of going, I don't understand that at all because he said, those girls might be going to comedy for the very first time. But if they like Dane Cook and they like going to comedy, eventually they'll go and see some other comedy. Yeah. They'll be like, oh, I don't just like Dane Cook. I like comedy. And then eventually they will go and like see you know other comedians. That's yeah. good for all of us. Yes, yes. And so every time there's an act where someone can go, I can bring my family to that. Like, I am not that act. I would say to people, like, don't bring your family to my, you know, this is fights on the, in the car on the way home, right? You know, but it's good that you, like, I mean, that's yeah. part of the not swearing thing. Yes, right? yeah, I think so. Absolutely. Yes. And I think, I think maybe my fish show at the moment is appropriate for 15 plus, um, which seems like people are interpreting very liberally. Right. <laughs> it's, it's, um five plus, maybe. Yeah. I've had some very young kids in the show who, yeah, obviously, I don't think understand it, and I, I do swear once, and maybe maybe there's some dicey. <laughs> that's the fifteen plus. Yeah, yeah that's the fifteen. If you if you didn't swear once, then <laughs> that'd probably, yeah, yeah, exactly. All ages. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> you earn that one swear. <laughs> but even in movies, yeah. like that's the Disney principle, right? You yes. get one swear. Yeah, that's like, right. That's me. I'm the PG thirteen comedian. Yeah, yeah, that's right. When do I get that one swear? <laughs> okay, final question. We're running out of time, but I need to ask you this question because this is the final question of the show. Um, uh, thank you for doing it, by the way. No, thank you this so much. This has been great fun. Oh, I've really you. enjoyed it. Oh, thank you so um, much. Can I ask you, I have a time machine. Yeah. Um, I have one round trip that I can offer to the guests. Oh. The machine has to come back. Mm. You can stay, I guess, if you need to, but oh. like the machine needs to come back because mm. I need it for the next podcast. So <laughs> you can go forward in time or backward in time. You can go to any real event. You can go to a, an event in your own life. You can go and watch that gig you really enjoyed <laughs> if you'd like. Um, uh, that'd be terrible. Oh, I wasn't as good as I remember. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you don't want that. Sometimes it's better that it lives yes. in your memory. I did a radio show here yeah. many, many years ago on Triple J Breakfast Show like um, with Adam Spencer that people still remember to this day. Like it's 20 years plus since we finished doing that show and I still have people come up and tell me how good that show was. And the only reason they do is that no recordings of that show <laughs> still exist. That's why they remember it so fondly because they are remembering the best bits of it, not all of it. But um, and so uh, I have a time machine. Forward or backwards is the first question. Yeah. Would you prefer to go forward in time or backward in time? I think my my instinct is to go forward in time. Forward in time for a boring practical reason, which is to maybe try go to the future and like see if I can find some medicine, some technology to help me live forever, you know, some something to go back to that, you know. Yeah. That's what I want. It to doesn't s- surprise me that you chose forward. Yeah. Like normally, like I think most people want to go backwards. Some people yeah. want to go forward, but it didn't surprise me that you want to go forward. Yeah. It felt like that was going to be right. Yeah. How far forward though is the question? Oh, probably- How far forward do you feel safe to go? Because oh. What you've got to take into consideration is firstly the broader environmental like sense of like how well are we going to be going in however many years. Yes. And then there's the what are we going to look like? Because twenty years ago there was no internet. Yes. Twenty years ago. Like basically. Well, oh. thirty years ago, really, I suppose. There was absolutely you know, the internet was invented, but it wasn't like what we know it to be Ubiquitous today. And- Your entire life has been within that, yes. but it was only half of my life yeah. that was in that. I remember when you had to go to a library to look things up, you know? That's within my lifetime. So yeah. if you go forward another 30 years, like you've got to take into account that the world could have 
people will be plugged into substantially them. Substantially changed in a way that you might be in Sino Man when you yeah, arrive. Yes, so it's, oh, how far forward do you go? Oh my God, I didn't even think about that, but you're right. I'll, I'll be like a defrosted caveman walking around yeah. and everyone's going to be plugged into like their little metaverse things, sort of, you know, giving Elon Musk seven bucks a month. To, I mean, your capacity to understand things, you yeah. might be walking into a world where you literally can't communicate with people. Because communication might have evolved to, like you said, there might be a microchip in the head or we yeah. might be like all loaded into a, a cloud-based sense of understanding or whatever it is. And if you're not, if you don't oh. have the right chip, if you don't have the right thing, maybe you're not compatible with the modern world. Is this podcast supposed to make me feel terrified about the future? I, mean, <laughs> I hope that people leave with a little sense <laughs> yes. of that. But you, you of all people, you've got a master's in philosophy. Yeah. You are equipped oh. to handle these existential questions. <laughs> all right. Backwards to the pink and white terraces. Yeah. <laughs> How far would you go for it? Um, I, okay, you freaked me out, so I'm going to say 30 years. Yeah, I reckon 30 is about right. Yeah, 30 is, I think, far enough in the future that I think I could see some interesting technological changes, but hopefully not so far that I'd be completely in see no man. What would you be hoping to find out about yourself in 30 years? Like, best case scenario. Like, I mean, I think we've explored some of this in this show, so this will be a nice way to wrap it up. But you, you step out 30 years from now, best case scenario, what where's like you know because like you're alive hopefully yeah. let's let's just say that you're alive yeah. uh 30 years from now say like that's another of your lifetimes that you've already lived yeah. in the future where would you hope that we, if you step out that if everything's gone great and you say hey you google or you do whatever the equivalent of you know google is <laughs> you get somebody to touch their head and look up ray o'leary what, what are you hoping that they find ray o'leary cancelled after <laughs> <laughs> After philosophy pod. Yes. <laughs> Ray O'Leary in incest scandal. <laughs> Worst episode of Who Do You Think You Are ever. Will Anderson says, I tried to tell you all. <laughs> I warned you, says Anderson, in dying words while trapped under air conditioner that ironically fell on him while walking. <laughs> I, I think, I mean, best case scenario, I think it'd be something like, well, maybe this is a best case, but what I would be very happy with yes. is if it turns out I had maybe done an hour special and it, like, well, at least one. And it was very like, I, I think very well regarded, at least by my peers, you know, like, I, like you know, that that's something I'd be very stoked with. And like, you know, comedy nerds respected it as basically that's, that's what I'd really I think like, and that they'd still talk about it. You know, I, I think there are some specials like that out there that I really, really like and respect and, and talk about. And it'd be nice to know that I had hit that sort of the pantheon. Mate, it's been a pleasure. I actually think that will happen and I oh. hope that uh, it does happen. And oh, then cheers. one day people can listen back to this podcast and they say they heard it here first, <laughs> but it's been an absolute pleasure. It's so nice to, to get to know you. I've, I've been watching you work for a little while now and it's, it's been really like, I, I love what you're doing. I think you're super funny. And, like, you know, I'm, I think all the success that you're having is absolutely oh, deserved. Thank so thank you for doing no, the show. No, thank you so much uh, for having me. I was, I was um, talking to um, Joseph Moore before I came, and he was, he was talking about how um, supportive you've been of, um, you know, the I think fan fiction comedy, the younger comedians. Um, and so it was very nice to, to meet you properly. Uh, well, thank you. Thank you, mate. Listener.